you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com events. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Wonderful to have you with us. And we're joined by critics Tim Cogshell of Alt Film Guide and Synagogues.com. Andy Klein, film reviewer for AV Club, joining us as well. We begin with Creed Three. Michael B. Jordan is back as the boxer. And he also directs the film. Uh, the screenplay is co-written by Keenan Kugler and Zach Balin. Uh, it's rated PG-13. Tim, what do you think of Creed Three? Solid, solid, solid installment in the third and the, the extension of the Rocky films, the Rocky universe, Creed Three. here. Very, very good work. Uh, directorial debut, I'm told, for Michael B. Jordan. Good work on, on his part. This story puts uh, Adonis in the pathway of a Clubber Lang-style ex-con called Damien uh, uh, Anderson, uh, uh, who happens to be a childhood friend of Adonis's. So we got this whole backstory that connects them that, uh, that, that, that you know, insinuates some stuff from those first two movies uh, there. Interesting. Um, um, what we ultimately end up having here is a film where this guy gets out of prison after 16 years. He was a fighter before he went into prison, and, and Adonis went on to get that heavyweight degree that he always thought should have been his. It's one of those. Good movie. Pretty pedestrian in that way, but it goes some places that I really, really like. We're going to have a knockdown, drag-out Rocky movie here with all those <laughs> knockdown, drag-out Rocky fights. We're going to have all of that in this movie. It might even jump the shark, <laughs> in, 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 like literally in the 11th round. I mean, how many have we had now, Rocky movies oh my and goodness. Rocky spinoffs? Hel- help me with this, because the first four Rocky movies were solid. Rocky, Rocky II, you know, the, the rematch. Yeah. Rocky III, which I think was Clubber Lang, right? That's Clubber. Yeah. And then the, the Russians in, in, in the fourth film. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm Dolph not Lundgren. Sure. Uh, uh, and then after that, they kind of get a little sideways. We got three solid Creed films here, and I think we're going to have a fourth one too. If this one is set up the way, Jonathan Majors. Uh, last time I was here, I talked about that kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he is just fantastic. He brings a gravitas to these roles that he's playing. He's done this incredible thing to his body uh, for both of these films. So good on him for that. But man, the other Ant Man, right? the other Ant Man movie. He is he is playing this character with the seething, what I like to call a killmonger seething, which is kind of ironic because Michael B. Jordan playing the other guy. Uh, and, and, and it's that that brings the weight to this film. But you know what I love most about this film? Every moment in this film uh, where all of these, almost all black and Latinx people, it's almost all black and Latinx people in this film are not hitting each other. There are moments in this movie where these guys are arguing and hugging and woofing and talking it out and hugging it out and patting each other on the back. And then there's all that fighting. But all of the talking... That's what I love the most about this movie. And, 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 and there was a thing in the black community where there was a little angst about having two black men, uh, you know, go at it each other like that in this movie. Ryan Coogler is a very bright writer. I love him. He, he knew that. And he knew where he had to take this movie to make that all okay. He wrote the story, by the way, and then his brother, Keenan, mm-hmm. co-adapted it from the story. Yeah, he, 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 he understood what he had to do to get this movie to a spot where black folks would be okay with it, and it's really well done. Creed Three is the film. It's in wide release, rated PG-13. Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, uh, stars Jason Statham, Aubrey Plaza, and Josh Hartnett. The film is directed and co-written by Guy Ritchie. Andy, what do you think of Operation Fortune, Fortune Ruse de Guerre? Well, it was the only fun I had this week watching <laughs> movies, uh, pretty much. Uh, this tell me if this sounds familiar. They are a group of special operatives who are totally deniable by the government. They're working for the Brits, and uh, they're funny and quirky. And they've got a computer expert. And got, this is an attempt to set up a Mission Impossible franchise for Jason Statham and Guy Ritchie, I think, and it's pretty well done. Uh, you have to accept that, of course, this notion that our hacker 
can get anything anywhere, you know, instantly, which is Aubrey Plaza, who I love to watch. I think she's great. Jason Statham does a lot of fighting, and it's very effective. Uh, the plot is vaguely about a, an AI program that can be used to disrupt the world's uh, gold markets. And then there's these guys who have cornered a whole lot of gold. So their gold will become in, you know, will magnify a thousand times over the value, which is pretty much the plot of Goldfinger. <laughs> and there are other little bondisms in here, including some, some of the music sounds like it's out of a bond oh. film, mm. but essentially you have these people, uh, I'm sure everybody had a great time filming it, going from London to Madrid to uh, Turkey to Qatar. I mean, they're all over the place, taking advantage of local sites and all that. Car chases coming out the wazoo. Uh, it does deliver on what it does, and it's got really good light touches. It, I would say it's a little bit lighter in the Mission Impossible films. It doesn't quite have those moments where you're really scared. Hugh Grant plays the villain. And at first I thought he was just doing a what for him would be a downscale accent. But about 20 minutes in, I realized, no, he is channeling Michael Caine. Oh, this wow. is like they said to him, you are Michael Caine, who's who we really wanted for this part. Because all the phrasing, everything was exactly like Michael Caine. It flies along, uh, totally entertaining. Uh, good guys win, bad guys get killed. The usual. Mm. Uh, but like I say, it's it's really a lot of fun. You said fighting. So this is because Guy and Jason do two kinds of films. One is a, a, a Jason gun film, and the other is a Jason fighting film. And they don't usually do them at the same time. Oh, there's guns in here too, this but it's gun a, film? but oh. there's also lots and lots of hand hand to hand combat. And, and it sounds and, like a fair amount of humor in this as well. Yes, yes, this is definitely like I say. It's as much as the Mission Impossible films do have a lot of humor in them. This has a lighter tone overall. We're talking about the international action thriller Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, starring Jason Statham, Aubrey Plaza, and Josh Hartnett. Uh, Guy Ritchie directed, and he co-wrote it with Ivan Atkinson and Marne Davies. It's rated R and in wide release. The crime thriller What We Do Next stars Corey Stoll and Karen Pittman. The film's written and directed by Stephen Belberg. Tim. Yeah, and one other actress, Michelle uh, Ventimiglia. You'll look her, have somebody look her name up from one other, literally one other performer. Uh, those three people oh, in this wow. movie. And uh, a, a couple of reporters at a press conference who don't even say anything. So these these three actors do this whole thing. It's creating a lot of tomatoes over there on Rotten Tomatoes' this film. Critics are loving it. I appreciate it. Might even give it a tomato. But I do reject it. Uh, because I reject the bottom line of what is basically a morality play. This is a big old morality play, and it's even laid out as a morality play. So we have seven sequences in this film, uh, all staged in, in, on whatever sets they're staged on, on which you're going to be these three performers, or maybe just two of them, but never anybody else, and it's all perfectly plausible for why they are only there. Uh, the first one is between this young woman, uh, Puerto Rican, and her black social worker. We find out fairly quickly that she's being molested by her father and her brother is probably next. The social worker says to her, you got to do whatever it takes to get out of there. And she does. She kills her father. Fast forward 16 years, 16 years in prison. She gets out of prison. Now that social worker is on the city council, and she's running for an important office, and Corey Stoll is there now. And we start to see what happened 16 years ago exactly. Who said what? Who did what? Who was responsible? Where did all of this? And we play out this morality play in seven segments over the course of this film. Uh, race and gender and white privilege and sort of black elitism and all that stuff uh, in this argumentation. We hear these arguments about who's right. What's, what's at stake is whether or not that young Puerto Rican woman, now 32, is going to go back to prison depending on who says what and who does what and who defends what. That's what's at stake. So the question is, what's right? What's right? Now, the reason why I reject it is because I know the, I know the answer to all these questions. And, and I sit, I'm sitting here in this room with all of us who are over 60, 
I think we all know the answer to all these you questions. You blew my cover. <laughs> I, I look at all those rotten tomatoes, all those tomatoes and all yes. those film critics, and a lot of dark hair on all those faces. And I can see how they think these, these answers are hard. It's not a single hard answer in any of this. But nevertheless, I see where the tomatoes come from. They come from youth. What we do next, the crime thriller starring Corey Stoll, Karen Pittman, and Michelle Ventimiglia. The film's written and directed by Stephen Belber. It's unrated. You can see it at Lemley's Monica Film Center, Santa Monica, the Regal Foothill Ranch Theater, and the AMC Burbank. A Little White Lie is a comedy starring Michael Shannon, Kate Hudson, Don Johnson, Zach Braff, and others. It's written and directed by Michael Marin, based on the 2013 novel Shriver. A Little White Lie. Tim? Well, um, uh, this, 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 this put me in the, fi- in the mind of a, a Curtis Hanson film from some, some years ago, yeah. Wonder Boys. That's high praise, yeah. Uh, 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 and, and, and this isn't that good uh, oh, for a no. whole bunch of reasons, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I, see, I see the direction that it was pointed at. We have this small liberal arts college in the middle of nowhere, and it has this sort of fading book festival that all kinds of important people used to come to, but nobody comes to anymore. And we have this writer, played by Kate Hudson, who's also kind of fading, and this uh, poet, played by Don Johnson, who's really super fading and they would all like to to pull it back together there's this writer called Shriver who wrote this one book many years ago a transgressive sort of infinite plan fight clubby kind of thing you know Uh, there's this only book that nobody's ever seen J.D. Salinger there's only this darkly shadowed silhouette picture of him on the back of the book so Michael Shannon is this handyman uh, in this in this building. He's <laughs> I see where this is going. And he gets this letter. We need you to come back. He decides, I'm going to pretend to be Shriver. And we get this movie. We get this movie. It's light as a feather, this movie. It makes no sense, yeah. this movie. Uh, but Michael Shannon is walking around this movie. And every now and again, he says something or does something or reads something. That narration from that book. And it just sort of draws me in. I keep thinking to myself, this is a stupid movie. <laughs> the stupid movie got me. And there I am. I'm sorry, Andy. A little white I, lie, I, Andy. I I sort of agree in that if we uh, but the stupidity really was too much. Uh it's a great cast and mostly they're used well. Michael Shannon is a treasure. He always delivers. And this is a perfect role for him in that he's playing sort of this drunken stumble bum. Uh, Kate Hudson is lovely. Don Johnson is doing old Don Johnson, as he always does. Uh, the problem with this is is that parts of the plot make absolutely no sense. Uh, I don't know if I should give away the implication. I'd no, be cautious. We, with no, that. Okay, I'll yeah. be cautious. But let us say that this it's guy, stupid, this, no this janitor, <laughs> who may or may not know how to write, a few days before the festival starts writing a story. And somehow by the third day of the festival, he has filled four huge legal pads with a pencil-written novel. (laughs) And you just go, this is not vaguely possible. And what's going on here? It's fun to watch him and Kate Hudson go be hot and cold on each other back and forth. And occasionally it's really funny, but I... It's poking fun at the notion of these sort of... Uh, Chuck Patton, what's his name? He wrote uh, Fight Club yeah, and all that Polaniak. Kind of, uh, Polaniak and all of these guys that we have venerated over the years, who now, uh, when we look back at some of those things, we have to rethink and say, wait a minute, some of this stuff was just men being foul. Uh, and, and, mm. uh, and, 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 and I think that that's a perfectly fair sort of thing to do, but it does it without being bitter about any of it. It's funny about it all. And I, I kind of like that. A Little White Lie is the film from writer-director Michael Maron, starring Michael Shannon, Kate Hudson, and Don Johnson. It's rated R. You can see it at the Lumiere Music Hall Theater in Beverly Hills, The Harkins at the Grove, and it's also available on demand for home viewing, A Little White Lie. 
Well, speaking of uh, viewing, we hope you're with us. Coming up on Sunday, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, for our 21st Annual Film Week Academy Awards preview, Andy will be there, Tim will be there, and eight other critics will be on stage as we take you through the major categories of the Oscars that will be handed out a week later in Hollywood. We'll show clips from the Best Picture nominees, and it's a chance to hear the critics at their very best. They don't get to see each other, all ten, together like like this, except maybe when they vote on the year-end LAFCA awards. But otherwise, this is it. We don't get invited to those meetings. This is your chance to see them all together on stage at the historic Orpheum Theater, downtown Los Angeles on Broadway. It's coming up Sunday, just hours away. Get your tickets now at LAist.com slash events. It's going to be a wonderful afternoon Sunday at the Orpheum Theater, the 21st annual Film Week Academy Awards preview. More to come on Film Week in a minute. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle with critics Andy Klein and Tim Cogshell. Next up this week, Pacification. The film is directed by Albert Serra. Tim, what did you think? Yeah, Pacification, Pacification, Pacification. The mood, the style, uh, character performance, uh, even even the non there are a lot of non actor uh, performance in, in this film are, are the thing here. And set in the Pacific. Uh, and set in the Pacific, uh, 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 and uh, in Tahiti, French Polynesia, Tahiti specifically. It's very seductive. It's all also all kind of unsettling. Uh, so we're in Tahiti, and the sort of last vestiges of, of, of French colonialism is there. Uh, still quite a heavy touch, as a matter of fact. Um, old grievances uh, between the, the locals and the French government, but also grievances between the locals and each other, those who uh, still want to appease the French and those who would like to break away entirely. And then there's this rumor going around that the French are going to start uh, testing again, atomic nuclear testing again. French, that was the whole thing uh, during, during and after the war. And, and, and people are worried about this and it's a rumor and is that a submarine are there submarines in the bay we have this French politician Benoit and he creates this fantastic character this is a character that he's created, like old school acting, right? Doesn't look like him, doesn't talk like him, blonde hair, he's fat, he wears these white suits, he floats around with this sort of haughty attitude. Of spe- and he's the kind of guy that you know, even when he's being kind to you, that he is dismissing you. He's weaselly and conniving. And he, and he declares that none of this is happening. This is all, and then he just dismisses all of these people. But in fact, he has no idea whether or not the government is planning on restarting and he becomes paranoid and he becomes suspicious and all of this is going on in this moody moody long 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 movie two hours and almost 30 minutes is this movie there's a there's a there's a transgender actress in this movie uh you know playing a transgender character and she's floating around this movie and she's absolutely exquisite ridiculously beautiful but she has this sort of subtle sort of femme fatale sort of dynamic a smile she always seems to know the answer, the answer to questions that other people ought to know. And you start to think, wait a minute, <laughs> what's going on? That's how, that's how this movie unravels. It's very, very good. It's very unsettling. And then it's just sort of over. I liked it a lot. Now, uh, Benoit Magimel, that's the star of that's the, the film. That's the star of the film, and you it will not like recognize it. sounds like quite an acting 
uh, he looks more like Gerard Depardieu in this movie than he does like what Ben Watson, handsome. But yeah, it's very, very good. A great character is what he creates. Pacification, the film, it's unrated. It's in French with English subtitles, and you can see it at Lemley's Royal Theater in West Los Angeles. Hunt Her, Kill Her, a horror thriller starring Natalie Terrazino, J.C. Oakley III, and Larry Bunton. Greg Swenson and Ryan Thiessen are the directors of the film Greg Swenson wrote it. Andy, Hunt Her, Kill Her. This is one of two or even arguably three mm. women being chased films this week. And uh, this is the most effective of them. Uh, a woman who's a single mother gets a new job at a warehouse being the night janitor. And the warehouse is invaded by, I think, five masked men mm. who are obviously out to get her. Uh, it's uh, The warehouse gives you a lot of opportunities for her to hide and run and, you know... Keeps the budget down. It, keeps the budget <laughs> down. Uh, but, you know, and of course, early on, they get their hands on her cell phone and, and crush it. But then when she... The first guy she kills, because she has to eventually get rid of all these guys, she doesn't search him for a cell phone, which I thought was strikingly uh, awful. Uh, plus uh, the fact that there's, it really is a one trick film that is just running and chasing and hiding and setting traps and doing all those things. And it does it pretty well. It does it better than the other two films that touched on that sort of theme this week. So if you're really in the mood for watching a woman get chased and, and occasionally cut up and, uh, uh, fighting back and winning, this is that film. I, I expected with the title Hunter Killer that that was tongue-in-cheek, but it sounds like this no. is this no. is a dead series. <laughs> oh, no, no, no humor dead, in this film Oh, okay, no, yeah. No, they they uh, hunt her and they attempt to kill her anyway. Look, two people can actually act in this film. Fortunately, one of them is, is the, the lead. lead. Yeah. Uh, and and, uh, and that, that's so, so fortunate there. Uh, and, and, and the thing of it is, and, and, and we'll talk about the other two films, is you do have to endure the extreme brutality directed toward these, these young women in these films, right? And, and uh, it's, it's it's just these vicious, vicious attacks. Now, we know how it's going to work, uh, the vicious attack, and then, you know, why are we going to turn the tables and all of that? But I, I, don't, I don't care for, for being forced to endure the vicious attack, particularly on these women in these films. I think that if, you can, if you're a really good filmmaker, if you're very clever, you can figure out how to make this film and not make me sit through that. Um, uh, but if you're just going to show me a bunch of horrible stuff and then show me the re result, the revenge, of, well, that's, you know, whatever. That's a Charlie Bronson film from 40 years ago. I don't need that. Hunter Kill Her is unrated. It's in select theaters starring Natalie Terrazino. Blueback is a family adventure film starring Mia Wasikowska. Uh, the film's written and directed by Robert Connolly, based on the children's novel Blueback from uh, 1997. Tim, what'd you think of it? Well, it's sort of a lovely film, sort of a sweet film, a family film. Uh, basically, it's a girl in her fish movie, uh, a big blue grouper, which is a big, gigantic blue fish that can live to be uh, as old as 60 years or something like that. When we meet Abby, uh, who will become Washakowski, she's only eight years old, and she has a mother, Dora, played by Rada Mitchell. Her mother is this crusading uh, environmentalist. They live on this, in this cove in Australia. It's absolutely beautiful, the water and all this. And she's out there with her mother crusading. Her mother takes her diving to this deep spot of the cove and introduces her to this grouper, who she calls Blueback and starts growing. And we bounce back and forth across the arc of uh, uh, Abby's life. We were with her when she's a teenager, and we were with her when she's uh, Mia Wasikowski's age, when she finds out that her mother uh, has had a stroke and she has to go home. And we work our way back and forth through this movie, through all of these periods uh, in their lives together when they were at odds uh, about what her mother was doing and what happened to her father. A lovely family story. And of course, that grouper because they live to be so old, it's witness to all of this. So it's very sweet in that way. Uh, beautifully, beautifully shot in a very, very beautiful place. Um, uh, yeah, a, a lovely family story that, that has a, 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 love, a sweet moment in it. Uh, the Australian family adventure Blueback is rated PG. You can see it in select theaters. 
Unseen, a horror thriller that stars Midori Francis. The film's directed by Yoko Okamura in a feature directorial debut, written by Salvatore Cardoni and Brian Rawlins. Andy, Unseen. Uh, this is Woman Being Chased, film number two. Uh, in Women. This... Both of them. Both of them. Yeah. That's true. But the mostly... other played by uh, Jolene Purdy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, a doctor, a young doctor, whose ex-boyfriend has kidnapped her. She's unbelievably nearsighted, and fairly early on in the film, her glasses get broken. She escapes into the woods, but the only way she can navigate anything is by getting a video phone call. So she calls the last number because she can kind of see the bottom of the screen. Calls the last number that called her, which was an accidental phone call from a woman like a thousand miles away who works at a convenience store and says, you've got to help me. You've got to be my eyes. I'm going to hold this up and you tell me which way to go. Meanwhile, at the convenience store, there are these loathsome customers <laughs> who keep interrupting and are total jerks and kind of over-the-top jerks, mm. I thought. I mean, really not, you know, almost unbelievably bad. I mean, they come in shooting up the—they're like rich people who come in and shoot up the convenience store. Uh, but uh, you have this suspense and a lot of split screen of— the convenience store worker trying to hold the fort at the store while trying to guide this woman and having technical problems with the phone and all this stuff. Uh, it's fairly effective. It's very short. It's under an hour and 15 minutes. God bless it. Yeah. yeah. Boy, and that deserves an award just for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that in and of itself is a real plus. Uh and it, it, like I say, it's effective, but it's just another one of these things of resourceful women fighting. Yeah, after being brutally abused by the... Look, um, um, uh, fully five people are very good actors in this movie. Fully five. Uh, and, that, and so, so that, I can, I can say that about it. I've seen... This story has been told three or four times now as a technology, new technology. We're going to tell the story to new technology. You still have to sit through that young woman being viciously brutalized at a point in this film. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I I ain't going to do it. Unseen is the film from director Yoko Okamura. It's unrated, and it's available on demand starting Tuesday of next week. Transfusion stars Sam Worthington and Phoebe Tonkin. It's written and directed by Matt Nabel, who also is in the cast of Transfusion. Tim. Yeah, yeah, Matt. Uh, a familiar face. You would know him. Sam Worthington, of course, is a big old movie star. We know who he is. Very familiar thriller about a veteran sniper uh, in his unit. Do some pretty gritty things. Things when they're when they're out in the field, he returns home to a wife and his little six-year-old son. Uh, very fairly quickly, uh, the wife is in an automobile accident with the son. She is killed. Now he has this little boy who has witnessed this. Uh, this this sniper. Fast forward about ten years. Kids fifteen now, and this kid is a mess. Uh, he's the mess, not the sniper. Uh, the, the 15-year-old kid is a mess from all this kind of stuff. He keeps getting in trouble. The father, he gets in some real serious trouble, and the father needs to get some money to get him out of trouble. So he, he hooks back up with his old commander from the war who's slipped off into some darker territories, but they got these skills. Uh, and he says, you can bring these skills and go to work for me, and we can make some money, and so he does. So we've been in this movie before. What I like about this movie is the nature of Sam Worthington's character. He's not angry. He's not mean. He's kind to his son. His son, there's a moment when he takes his son deer hunting, and the son doesn't want to shoot the deer. And he says, Daddy, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm a coward. I'm a coward. And he says, no, son, you're not a coward. When I asked you to shoot the deer, you said, no, that was brave. That's a new, that's a yeah. fresh take yeah. on that character. And he's going to do whatever he has to do, but he's doing it to protect his son. Where is the film set? Australia. Okay. Uh, 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 which I wouldn't have known except for everybody's driving on the wrong side of the car. <laughs> Transfusion is the film, a mystery thriller, written and directed by Matt Nabel. The film is rated R. It's at Lemley's Glendale Theater. Children of the Corn, horror film, of course, based on the Stephen King short story. Uh, this version written and directed by Kurt Wimmer. Andy. Totally unnecessary. Worse than unnecessary. The original film wasn't very good to start with, and this is not as good. 
it, it basically, uh, you know, cult children who are in a corn cult and who manage constantly to get the drop on all the adults in town until they've killed them all. And we have one, like, high school senior who's sort of in the cusp who's trying to to defend them, but it's it's just pointless. Mm-hmm. Tim? Mm-hmm. One little girl, the little evil girl? Yeah, she's Pretty solid performance uh, from this terrible, terrible movie. Children of the Corn is rated R. It's in select theaters, and in a couple of weeks it'll be available on demand. And Casablanca is newly restored. The classic film will be in select theaters uh, coming up on March 5th. Uh, and March 8th only, which is Sunday and Wednesday, the Michael Curtiz-directed film, Tim. It's gorgeous. It's fantastic. Last week or a couple of weeks ago, I was here. I was a little upset about that 4K restoration of Crossing Dragon. Yeah, yeah. Dragon, you, you know, 4K does not always, you know. Uh, but in black and white, you don't have that problem. It just becomes crisper, sharper more present, uh, but you don't have the problem that you get with 4K and some other things. So, lovely. Everybody knows it's a great film. You couldn't do better. Yeah, and the 4K looks looks great, this restoration, it sounds like. That's terrific. We're talking about Casablanca, the 1943 classic film, of course, written by Julius Epstein, Philip Epstein, Howard Koch, uh, rated PG. Uh, of course, came out long before there was a rating system. Again, it's in selected theaters, Sunday and Wednesday, those two days only, in the restored 4K version of the film. I do want to remind you to join us Sunday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon at the historic Orpheum Theater downtown L.A. for the 21st Annual Film Week Academy Awards preview. All 10 of our critics are going to be there. We'll show clips from the Best Picture nominees, and we'll talk about the major categories. That's the the four major acting categories. We'll talk about Best Directing, the two screenwriting categories as well, Best Animated Feature, Best Documentary. We'll be talking with all of our critics, and after the the part we record for broadcast, be a chance for people that attend the event to ask some of their own questions. Please join us Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock, at the Orpheum Theater. Get your tickets now at LAS.com slash events. That's LAS.com slash events. And we're going to give you a little taste of that with more critics joining us to talk about the five best international feature nominees. That's all to come on this week's Film Week. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. It's Film Week on LAS 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Great to have you with us. We wanted to give you a little preview of what's to come Sunday at 1 o'clock at the Orpheum Theater with our 21st Annual Film Week Academy Awards preview. You know, we can't do every category just because of time limitations. So we want to take one of the important categories and bring it to you today on Film Week. And it's Best International Feature. The nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, Argentina, 1985, Close, EO, and The Quiet Girl. We'll get uh, into which countries these films come from, who the directors are, and the leading members of the cast. But let's uh, begin with All Quiet on the Western Front. This is also nominated for Best Feature Film Overall. Uh, The film is directed and co-written by Edward Berger, and it stars Felix Kammerer. Uh, Wade, first of all, what did you think of All Quiet? I think it's an astonishing film. I uh, 
my only minor gripe is the score. I'm not a big fan of the score. It kind of graded on me a little, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it, that's like a, a, about 2% of uh, the film and uh, the rest of it, I think overperforms by 50%. The score underperforms by maybe 25. So it's really a minor gripe. This is one of the most impressive pieces of filmmaking we've had in many, many years. It's one of the great anti-war films of all time. Uh, it's incomparable, and it's going to win this category hands down. There's not even a question. Uh, only seven prior uh, films were nominated for both foreign language film or international film and Best Picture. All of them won uh, the International or Foreign Language Film Award. This will do the same. It has nine nominations. The only uh, films in this category that had uh, had more nominations were Crouching Tiger and Roma. They had ten. What? Wait. How does this compare to the 1930 classic film starring Lou Ayers? You know, I, I, I it, obviously we have more technology today, more sophistication. It, it is, it is a more monumental epic than that film. But that film was impressive in its own day, and it's still impressive. The difference is that that film was an American film. Um, adapted from the novel literally the year after the novel was published. So it was it was very much a contemporary film. Now the Germans have adapted the novel themselves from their point of view in German and nearly a century later. So it's looking back with, the, with hindsight. So the perspective of the two films is different, and I think they complement each other for that reason. Amy, what did you think of All Quiet on the Western Front? I'd also add that I feel like it really sharpened the story. This version gets rid of any of the scenes where, you know, the soldier returns home. There's none of the meeting with his mother. Some of the stuff that they actually cut out and changed in the original um, American one that we had here. In sharpening this arc to kind of make it fit into the running time, it has this great, brisk, brutal approach. You know, it, it sets this tone right in this opening scene of All Quiet in the Western Front, where you follow this scared German soldier into a slaughterhouse. Then you follow his bloody uniform as it goes to the laundry, as it goes to the seamstresses who are sewing up the bullet holes. Then finally it gets to its new owner, the teenager named Paul, who's played by Felix Kemmer, who is kind of the star of this movie. And he's like, oh, my uniform has a name already sewn in it. And they're like, oh, it just didn't fit the last guy. And it right away just gets you in this mindset of... A, of um of a war that's lying to these young soldiers and really pushing them to join. And then as soon as they're on the front, treating them as disposable bags of meat, which the film really makes clear that they are disposable bags of meat. It's pretty brutal. The battles are rough and the days between the battles aren't much better. Yeah, I I found it tough to watch, but a very powerful film. Yeah, and I agree. And there's something about World War One just on cinema that I find so much more powerful and beautiful than a lot of other war films. I don't know if it's the poison gas, the alien gas masks, the horses, but it just it it always looks so brutal and so so alien and so distant and so terrifying on film. That's uh, Amy Nicholson joining us. We've got a bunch of our film week critics here giving you a sense of Sunday afternoon's event at the Orpheum Theater, our 21st annual Academy Awards preview. Joining Amy is Peter Rayner. We also have uh, Andy Klein with us in studio and Tim Cogshell with us as well. Wade Major joining us on the line. Uh, also, for best international feature film, Argentina 1985, it uh, won the Golden Globe. Uh, for Best Motion Picture Non-English. It's uh, in Spanish with English subtitles from Argentina. Santiago Mitre is the director and co-screenwriter of the film. Tim, what did you think? Uh, it's among my favorite uh, international films of the year for sure. Um, look, certainly because of, of what it says about the possibility of being able to bring power uh, 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 to justice, uh, which is what happens over this period of time. Of course, there was the military junta, uh, all of the horrible, horrible things that happened under that that period, and then this prosecution that no one wanted to do uh, except for this one lone prosecutor. And then uh, the, the young man, the young lawyer who joins him, whose family had been a, a, a family that supported the military, which is what made it striking that he came uh, to support that there was an, uh, uh, he lives, uh, that, that gentleman, he lives in Malibu, not too terribly far from And our John Horn just interviewed oh, Yeah, you, yeah, so, so, so that's all very interesting. I can't help uh, but juxtapose this to January 6th and trials that are going on right now here in the United States and, and all those things, because what this, what this film says is that this can be done. 
it's scary and it's hard. Uh, and, and people were uh, killed. Uh, and this film is also funny, though, uh, which is really, really interesting to me, how this film manages to engage in a certain sense of humor. He, he refuses to get that young lawyer's name right uh, through this movie until he can trust him. And the moment he can trust him, he starts saying his name right. I love that in this movie. Argentina, 1985. Peter. Yeah, it's a terrific movie. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, if you know anything about history, you know how it all ends up. You know that uh, that the nine leaders of the military junta were convicted. Um, nevertheless, there's a tremendous amount of suspense because it's so well told and, and the narrative is, is so propulsive. Um, and uh, it reminded me in, in some respects of uh, the kinds of political dramas that Costa Gavras used to do. Mm-hmm. You know, he did Z and the Confession and state of siege but it but it does have as as tim said a, a, a humorous uh slant to it that that is is at first seemingly incongruous but it really sort of almost adds to the heroism of these characters that they're able to sort of you know keep this lightness in the midst of all this horror and, and a lot of the testimony in the trial and a lot of the film is 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 a, a, a trial transcript uh actual transcripts uh really harrowing um, but the but the humor aspect, uh, like there's a moment when um, when the uh, the chief prosecutor Julio Strasser, who is played wonderfully by Ricardo Darín, um, you know he he takes a phone call at home uh, from someone who's uh, you know threatening the life of his family, and um, his wife says, "Who is that on the phone?" And he says, "He says, oh, that's that's the threat guy. He's been calling all day." <laughs> you know, it's I mean, job. stuff like that going on in the movie that that really sort of you know skips a beat, um, and it, it it really I think you know the idea of bringing justice to the victims of the junta, uh, despite all of the um, uh, you know the the melodrama and the lightness that sometimes intercedes is is really so powerful in this film. Uh, you never lose sight of the fact that this is an incredibly mm. serious. Uh, and ultimately victorious uh, mission. Argentina 1985, rated R, submitted by Argentina. One of the five uh, films uh, that are vying for Best International Feature at this year's Academy Awards. We have six of our Film Week critics that are joining us to talk about all of these films, including Leo Lowenstein, who's going to be talking about this next film. But let's at least get started on Close, uh, which comes from Belgium. It was winter the Grand Jury Prize at Cannes. It's directed by Lucas Dant, who co-wrote it. Andy, please get us started on Close. Uh, This is a fairly sensitive film uh, about adolescence, and uh, I'm generally not that sympathetic, Uh, but uh, it's about two boys who are incredibly close friends. They're practically members of each other's families, and one of them, for various silly reasons, pulls away from the other which has tragic consequences. And the rest of the film is the playing out of guilt and uh, trying trying to go on after this horrible thing has happened to the friend who's been who's been kind of shunned. We'll hear more about Close, the Belgian film, from director and writer Lucas Dant. We'll hear what Leal has to say about it. And we have two additional films in the Best International Feature category. Uh, The film uh, EO, also The Quiet Girl from Ireland. You're listening to Film Week on LA's 89.3. It's Film Week on LAS 89.3. We look forward to seeing you Sunday afternoon at 1 at the Orpheum Theater downtown LA for our 21st annual Film Week Academy Awards preview. And uh, you can get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. We're giving a little taste by taking a category that won't be on the program Sunday, and that's Best International Feature. Six of our critics, Tim Cogshell, Andy Klein, Wade Major, Peter Rayner, Amy Nicholson, and Leo Lowenstein are weighing in. We're right in the middle of talking about the Belgian film Close. Leo, what did you think? Oh, I thought this was a wonderful film. Lucas Dant, the director, captures the physicality of boys at the age age of 13, the way they're constantly in motion, so full of energy. And these two boys, these two Belgian boys, 
Leo and Remy are on the precipice of kind of almost adulthood. They're, they're, you know, they're so close that they know each other so well that they're, you know, practically connected. But, but when their friends kind of tease them about their connection, one of them decides, as Andy said, to pull away. That does have consequences, but the film isn't just about that. It's really about how these two boys kind of see the world, how they work out difficult situations, how uh, adults can or cannot gain their trust. And I, I can, I can seldom think of a director who trusts his actors as much as Lucas Dante does. He allows the camera to just stay on them and to just let the emotions and and the the truth of the moment kind of come out of them in a really remarkable way. Very, very strong film. We're talking about the Belgian movie Close, rated PG-13. The film is in French, Flemish, and Dutch with English subtitles. Uh, EO is set in Poland and Italy. Uh, The film is directed by uh, Jerzy Skolomowski, who also co-wrote the screenplay. Peter, what did you think of EO? Uh, It's it's a really good movie. It's a a picaresque about, from a donkey's point of view, um, of a circus donkey uh, who uh, goes through various travails that we see, uh, the, the beast of burden at a horse training facility at a fox farm. Uh, he's set upon by some soccer hooligans. Uh, he's also uh, uh, the delight of children at a petting zoo. So there's all sorts of uh, different things that this uh, animal goes through. Um, and it, it, it's really quite a tender and sweet movie. It doesn't have the religiosity aspect to it that its uh, inspiration had. The uh, Robert Bresson, the Balthazar, 1966 classic, um, but it, it really uh, has the odd effect of bringing you literally inside of this donkey to see the world in a kind of uncomprehending but you know tender way, despite all the uh, the travails that, that that are set upon. It's it's really uh, a unique movie in, in so many ways. There's uh, tonal differences between slapstick and horror and dreaminess. It's a lot of it is handheld. Um, it uh, it closes with the the intertitle. The film was made out of love for animals and nature, and you really do feel that. We're talking about EO, uh, a film uh, set in Poland and Italy. What did you think, Amy? Uh, well, I loved it, and all of us who are part of LAFCA, the LA Film Critics, also loved it. This was our pick for the Best Foreign Language Film winner. It also won Best Cinematography, and it was a run-up for Best Score, because all of these things have to work together in tandem to tell the story of a donkey through donkey vision, I guess you could say, donkey sound. I mean, this film feels kind of like a a punk rock film in a lot of ways, which is why it's so impressive to me that Yerze, the director, is 84 years old. Wow. What I think is really admirable about it is he comes up with the empathy to make you very much care about the story of this donkey, but he will never lie to you about what life will be like for the donkey. Early on when the donkey leaves the circus and his young trainer, I'm like, well, of course, someday this film will end with him, you know, reconnecting and finding his home again with her and it'll have a happy ending because that's how these films go. But absolutely not. That's not at all what Yerze is after with this film. And I really admire it for that. And the landscapes this donkey this donkey walks by are just surreal. Scrap yards, giant wind machines. It's really a spectacular watch. The film EO, by the way, is in select theaters and available on demand. And uh, it's from Poland. Finally, The Quiet Girl, an Irish film, final one of the best international feature films that we're talking about. It's directed by Colm Barade, who also uh, wrote it. It's based on a, a short story from Claire Keegan. Leo, what do you think of The Quiet Girl? Oh, I really love this film. It is a coming-of-age film as quiet as you could ever imagine. It, it almost kind of sneaks up on you. It's about a girl who is um, kind of almost abandoned by her parents who are very cold and unloving, and they send her off to live with a, a, rel- a distant relative for a period of time. And during that time, she just blossoms in little incremental ways. And the, the director just places this, this little girl at the heart of this wonderful sort of growing out of her shell, coming out of her shell, at the same time that you see through her, his powers of observation and hers, what it's like to grow into a home where people love you. He never hits you over the head with it. It's very, very, very subtle, but all the little technical details that he uses, the acting nuances, and all the lovely directorial touches combined together to make this just one of the most lovely, empathetic, and um, truly touching films, but, but never, never hits you over the head. 
Wait, what do you think of the quiet girl? Agree completely. This is kind of the flip side of All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a novel that had to be distilled into this epic to fit on the big screen. This is based on, <clears throat> excuse me, on a short story, and you need to see this on the big screen because it, it magnifies the small moments, the little things, all of which live in the face of this amazing young actress, Catherine Clinch, who who just conveys so much without saying anything at all. And she's a first-time actress, and she just burrows right into your heart. It's really, it's Celtic poetry, and it's a beautiful film. The film, again, The Quiet Girl from Ireland, it's unrated. You can see it in select theaters. Let me go back over where you can see the five nominated films. All Quiet on the Western Front is streaming on Netflix. That film from Germany. Argentina 1985 from Argentina is streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Close from Belgium is in select theaters. EO from Poland is available on demand. And The Quiet Girl from Ireland is in select theaters. Andy, uh, of these, which was your favorite? Uh, My favorite was Close, followed by The Quiet Girl. Uh, My least favorite probably was All Quiet on the Western Front. I think it was beautifully made. But it's not as faithful to the book as the original. It's not as faithful to history. And I think that the digressions they added in weaken the film by going away from the main character's POV. Tim, your pick for the best. Yeah, yeah, The the Quiet Girl, exquisite in its simplicity. Real people who exist in the real world doing things that people do. All right, Wade, your pick. Uh, all quiet on the Western Front. I, I I get Andy's reservations, but as just a raw piece of unbridled filmmaking, I don't think that it has an equal in any language this year. Lael. Oh, probably tie between Quiet Girl and Close, I'd say. Amy. I'm an EO girl. It's a movie that really, I think, pulls on all of your empathy and it makes you think about humans and animals in our place in the modern world and the environment. I think there's so much in it. Peter. Uh, Argentina 1985 would be my top, and EO, a close second, uh, the two films I spoke on. All right. Well, I want to thank you all six of our ten critics. All ten will be on stage Sunday at the uh, Orpheum Theater downtown Los Angeles, 1 o'clock in the afternoon for our 21st annual Film Week Academy Awards preview. Tickets are available. Go to LAS.com slash events. I sure hope to see you there. We're going to watch clips of the Best Picture nominees, talk about the major categories, and our critics are going to have at it. You'll hear their varying points of view about it. It's just going to be a lot of fun to have that all. So thank you so much. We appreciate having you with us for uh, Film Week this week, and we hope to see you Sunday at uh, the Orpheum Theater, las.com slash events. Have a great weekend. Alias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com events.